Right, so today, this, um, the word I'm going to bring today, um, conceived really at the beginning of the year when we were in our 31 days of breakthrough, um, right back in January time actually. Um, and I felt at the time Pastor Paul was preaching and he, he, meant, he just was talking about Moses and how, um, you know, the breakthrough there. And it just really spoke to me at that time. So I'm going to start off today with that. Um, just look at some lessons that I felt God um, brought to my attention that we could use today sort of thing. And uh, I'm going to try and marry that up to some stories, other stories in the Old Testament with some other um, uh, people and see what it means to us. Um, and it follows on a theme, actually. Although this was conceived, you know, as I was saying, back in January and then God's added bits to it over the last few months sort of thing. It does follow a theme, really, about... Um, what Dan's been speaking about and Pastor Paul about stewardship. So I think the fact that this is way before even they started speaking about that makes me think that God really is trying to speak to us as a church at this moment about that, okay? Right, so we're going to start off in Exodus. And we're just going to look at the... uh, Moses crossing the Red Sea. It's a well-used Bible, this, you can see. (laughs) Right, so just as a recap, basically, there's been lots of plagues in Egypt. Um, Israel has been in slavery for 430 years. Um, But God has finally heard their cries, and he's commissioned Moses to lead them out into a, a promised land. And I'm sure the Egyptians were glad to be rid of them in the end because of all these plagues and stuff. So I'm going to start in Exodus 13, um, verse 17, and I'm, I'm going to skip through bits of this, so um, if it jumps through, if it's going to be on the screen at all, I might be jumping through little bits of scripture, so you have to try and keep up. Um, hopefully I'll remember to inform you where we are. So, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So the Israelites went up out of Egypt, armed for battle. Uh, mm -hmm. So, by day, the Lord went ahead of them. This is verse uh, 21, I'll shut up to now. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night, in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night, left its place in front of the people. So we know that God goes ahead and he's got our backs covered and he never leaves us and he never forsakes us. So if we're going to Exodus 14, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and camp near Pi-Hahiroth, between Migdol and the sea. They are to camp by the sea, directly opposite Baal-Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. Um, it's interesting there, where God says, tell the Israelites to wait in a place. Because normally, in Christian terms, if you're waiting, just standing around doing nothing, you get overtaken and chewed up by the devil, basically. You've got to keep on moving. But when God tells you to wait, you need to wait. Uh, so verse 8. So the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites, who were marching out boldly. 
the Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen, pursued the Israelites and overtook them. So this is what I say, just what happened. You were overtaken by your enemies when you stand still. As Pharaoh approached the Israelites, they looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. And they were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you, leave us alone? Now, we know they never said leave us alone because they were praying for 430 years <laughs> to be taken out. But it's funny how as soon as fear strikes people, they suddenly start backing down and thinking, well, I didn't really want that. And they'd already forgotten, in fact, that God had already led them out of Egypt. It was a miracle in itself. So Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see. That's what faith is, isn't it? Standing firm, standing on a promise, believing that what we do not see, we're going to receive. Uh, Stand still, yeah, the Lord will fight fight for you. You will only need to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water. Uh, then moving on to verse 19, no, sorry, uh, 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind um, and turned it into dry land. And we know then that all the, Egyptian, all the Israelites passed through, and then um, once they were all through, the Egyptians... Um, Moses closed the waters, and the Egyptians are all drowned, and God was glorified. So um, we see there that God was in control of the whole situation the whole time. Okay, he used Moses supernaturally, um, but you think about this, right? It says in the Bible earlier on in there there were six hundred thousand men um, across the uh, the Red Sea that night. Now that probably excludes women and children and the droves of livestock that also went through. So it's probably between one and a half to two million people that went through that. And that is an incredible miracle, isn't it, really, if you think about it. And I've I've never really thought about the size of it. You see these stylized portraits sometimes of a little gap, about 30 feet wide with people marching through sort of thing. But that sea must have been very wide to get that many people through in just one night. So the Lord was saying, why are you crying out to me? It's time to move on. It's time to act. Sometimes yeah, we we sort of hanging around, waiting for God. He's answered a prayer. He's already said, action, move. But we're standing around doing nothing sort of thing. So we need to move. But I want to go back to something that really spoke, God really spoke to me about on, in uh, verse 2 in Exodus 14. And it's a very innocuous statement, really, which I've read this story loads of times in kids' church and things like that, and I've never really noticed it. But it just like really jumped out of me. And basically it is, tell the Israelites to turn back and camp near Pihahiroth between Migdol and the sea. They are to camp by the sea, directly opposite Baal Zephon. Now it just, just seems like a bit flowering on the text, doesn't it, really? But what it showed me was that that was a command by God. And it's a very simple command, really. Just wait here in this particular place, in this specific place. Because it just shows, really, how God could turn a little thing into a massive thing. Because what if they hadn't, hadn't, hadn't listened to God? What if they thought in their own strength, there's a much better place, Mars down there, it's more sheltered, it's closer to the sea, it's a sunny disposition, the Egyptians can't see us. What if they decided to go down there and they'd have missed the miracle because they'd have not listened to what God had told them? 
So we learn from this story, very important, obedience to God. We need to wait on him. We need to trust in him when we come to obstacles. And remember that the battle is not ours. So David said, the battle is not mine, it's the Lord's. And that's what we have to remember. You know, so often in Christian life, there's a test between the promise and the possession of, of the promise. And to take possession, we need faith. So Israel set out boldly and confidently. It's a bit like us, maybe, on January the 1st, when we were beginning to pray and thinking God's going to make a real move in our prayers and all these things we're going to pray for and people we're going to pray for. You know, by the end of the month, they're all going to be saved and everything's going to happen and it's going to be fantastic. Because we were, at that time, it's a new year and we're all thinking, yeah, we're all up for it, sort of thing. But of course, sometimes things take a bit longer. Um, and do you remember in lockdown, so many people took a step back they slowed down, you know, life was cut off as normal life, in inverted commas. Uh, but they slowed down, they began to notice things like birds singing. They realised how much they appreciated their family, how, mi- how much they missed their friends, how much they mi- missed their, uh, just life in general, was, they appreciated it much more because they slowed down and actually had a look around sort of thing. And we noticed that they'd been taking things for granted. And what did they say? We're going to change. Yeah, from now on, I'm going to change. And yet, a couple of weeks ago, I know it's on the news, there was a recent survey. And as a nation, we're now more anxious, more depressed, more fearful, more angry, more intolerant, less hopeful than we've ever been. You know, we've already forgotten all the things that we recognised we had before sort of thing. I reckon that's what it was for the Israelites as well. Because they spent 40 years wandering around in the desert because they became complacent. They'd forgotten about the things... God had said and promised them, and they lost sight of that promise. I mean, they say some incredible miracles. You know, they, just coming out of Egypt was a miracle in itself, with the fact they'd been let go. Then they crossed the Red Sea. I mean, that surely should be enough. And then when they were in the desert, God was providing manna for them. There was a lot of bready, flaky stuff from heaven. Um, so they could feed every day. They provided water from rocks. Yeah, their shoes never wore out as they wandered around the desert. But instead of looking forward and grabbing hold of the promise, a new land flowing milk and honey, don't know what that means, sugar puffs for breakfast maybe, but they look back to the old days. They got a dis- distorted picture of what slavery was like. They started thinking, oh, it's been much better in Egypt, at least we knew where we were sort of thing. And they even started complaining about the provision God was giving them. Oh, look, we're fed up with this manna sort of thing. But, you know, when you're looking back, you can't see where you're going. God doesn't always take us to what seems the best way, the quickest way to us, and that's where our faith and trust has to come in. Because sometimes he knows we're going to face a battle if we go a particular way, and he doesn't want us in that battle, so he takes us on a longer route. Because God knows the beginning, and he knows, and he knows the end. <laughs> so we have to trust him. So ultimately, because of their grumbling, complaining, and then eventually they just sigh of, of their faith and no thankfulness, a whole generation of Israelites failed to see the promised land. They spent 40 years wandering around in the desert, and that was it. Only Jacob and Caleb went into the promised land, as we know. So, moving on, I'm going to move on to a story of uh, Jacob and Esau. And uh, just as a bit of a backstory to this again, they were twin sons of Isaac, and the Bible says uh, that Esau was the firstborn, um, only very slightly, because Jacob was grabbing hold of his heel as he came out. 
But Esau was a, a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, um, very favoured by um, Isaac. Whereas Jacob was a quiet man. He stayed among the tents. He was probably more thoughtful. Um, and he was like a, a mummy's boy, really. Uh, his his mum, Rebecca, um, doted on him sort of thing. So we'll go to Genesis 25. Verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. Um, he'd been out um, hunting. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that stew. I'm famished. I told you he was. Um, Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. It's a slight exaggeration there. I mean, <laughs> I think most, many of us may have fasted here, and I don't think we've ever felt the situation was that bad after a few hours that we were going to die. Anyway, uh, Jacob, uh, Jacob replied, no, look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore on over to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew, and he ate and drank and got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. So you may be wondering what the birthright was. Well, it was a special honor given to the firstborn son and included a double portion of the family's inheritance. And ultimately, um, you became the family leader. So it was lots of responsibility um, but it's a lot of blessing that went with that as well. Now, the son could sell or give away the birthright, but then obviously they would lose the honor and lose the blessing and position associated with it. Now, when we read the Bible, we know by nature that Jacob is a bit of a deceiver, okay? So it's very likely he deliberately, when he knew his brother was out hunting, stirred up this stew and it probably had maximum flavours and I suspect he was there with a blanket wafting it as towards the door his brother came in um, because he wanted to engineer his brother's hunger so because he probably knew his brother was quite weak in these sort of things that he was quite impulsive so the ploy works and Esau shows complete disregard for the spiritual blessings that would have come his way and throws away his future for an immediate temporal ple- pleasure because he loses perspective. So then moving on to the story between these two, we read in Genesis uh, 27, um, and again, a bit of a backstory. So this is much later in life now, and Isaac's old and he's virtually blind. And he tells Esau, go out, kill some food. Well, not kill some food, but <laughs> just burn it on the stove. No, um, you know, go and kill an animal, um, Come in and um, I'll eat it, and then you will be blessed. You'll receive my blessing. But Rebecca, his wife, overhears this and she tells Jacob to go, go and kill two of the goats in the farmyard. Um, and uh, Jacob's first thought was, that's fine, but I look very different. You know, Esau is very hairy and red, and I'm very smooth skinned. So she says, okay, well, we use the goat skins. So she put goat skin on his hands and on the back of his neck, okay? I don't know how hairy Esau was, but... (laughs) But anyway, obviously very hirsute. Anyway, we'll go on. So that's the back story. So she cooks the uh, food and Jacob takes it into his father, Isaac, and said, my father... uh, This is verse 18, by the way. Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so you give me your blessing. 
Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly? Lord, your God gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so I can touch you, my son, so I know whether you really are my son Esau or not. And Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Worrying. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother, so he blessed him. Are you really my son, Esau, he asked. I am, he replied. When he said, bring, my son, bring me some of your game to eat. So I may give you my blessing. So Jacob brought it to him, and he ate, um, they drank wine, and then he said, come here and kiss me. So as he moved forward, Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, because he was wearing some of Jacob's, um, Esau's clothes as well. It's all very well thought out, this uh, manipulation. And then he blessed him. And just as that finished, more or less, as Jacob walks out the room with his blessing, ooh, I'm blessed. Esau walks in, hey, I've got some food. Walks into his dad, and uh, he says, I've, I've got some food here. Um, and Jacob, um, Isaac, too many names for me here. Isaac um, suddenly realizes that he's been taken in, and Esau obviously realizes what's happened. And um, they realize they've been deceased, and I think you can say that Esau was not happy. In fact, he held a grudge, and he threatened to kill Jacob. So obviously, Jacob had to flee. So we should explain, actually, there, that although the birthright was Jacob's, it was the blessing by the father that confirmed this, okay? So he had the authority to give to whoever he wanted who was more deserving. But once the blessing was given, the birthright could no longer be sold or given or taken away. So bearing this in mind, I was rather surprised, uh, this story in mind, I was rather surprised to note in Malachi um, 1, verses 2 and 3, it says, and this is God speaking, Jacob I have loved... But Esau, I have hated. So let's just rewind that a bit. Jacob, I have loved. The deceiving, lying thief, God has loved. But Esau, the wrong man, okay, might be a bit lackadaisical, but God hates him. Well, what can God mean by that? Well, basically here we have two hungry men. Esau was indifferent. His hunger was for temporal things. His whole lackadaisical attitude led him to giving away his birthright without a thought, really. And he just threw away the opportunity um, uh, for nothing worthwhile, really. Now, Jacob, obviously, was very flawed. And he may have gone about it the wrong way, but he wanted everything that God had for him. Now, God didn't actually hate Esau as a person. What he hated was his attitude, because God is love. He loves everybody. God hates an attitude that puts fleshly things ahead of godly things. And certainly reading this has certainly made me think about my life and my attitudes, actually. What do I hunger for most? How am I using what God has given me? When I meet Jesus, I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Not, I hated your attitude, it stinks or stunk. So then I just want to move on. Um, There's a lot of scriptures today, which is... Quite good, actually, because we're a church. But we're going to go into Matthew now. And this is um, Matthew 25, and it's the parable of the virgins. And I know Dan mentioned this the other week, but I think, like I said earlier, I think God's really trying to say something. If Because I, had no, I didn't realize Dan had used this until the other day, actually. So I'm just going to read it through quickly. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not not take any oil with them. 
The boys, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry, cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. When all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps, the foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on the way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. There's three things here that really strike me. And this passage really is just talking specifically to believers, really, the people who um, are Christians. Basically, Jesus here is sort of prophesying, really, that almost 50%, 5 out of 10, won't be entering the promised land unless they literally follow him. You know, his words, his actions, his motives become more like him. You know, he's not seeking perfect people, but people who want to change and are willing to follow him. I used to think when I read this story how unchristian it was that the, the, the wise virgins refused to share their oils with the foolish ones. But I realize now, for me, that what this uh, scripture is talking about is the lamp is you and me. We're the lamps. It's our life. Our life is the lamp. And the oil is what we have done with our life. That's what makes the lamp um, either glow light, light, lightly or dark. Yeah, it's our obedience, our serving, our sacrifices, our faith, our giving, our love, our stewardship, our motive. So that's why you can't give your oil to somebody else, because it's personal only to you. You can't fuel somebody else's walk. And that's why we need to be ready now. It's no good waiting until Jesus is here, because obviously, as it says there, it's too late. I mean, it's very chilling, verse 10 there. I mean, just, and the door was shut. That just sounds so final, doesn't it? Um, another interesting thing is as well, it says uh, they were all asleep. So that means that even the ones who were walking with God are asleep, which indicates to me that they aren't going to expect Jesus when he comes, okay? Now, this is, I think, talk, this is talking about the rapture, in my eyes, this, this particular thing. And... I've never really had any interest, to be honest, in, in um, end-time stuff at all. I thought it was probably not going to affect me too much. But it's interesting. I've, I've got to just put it on my heart recently. I've been looking um, into it a little bit. And, and I was, have to say I was shocked by the number of prophecies that have now come true. If this line here was the prophecies that need to be fulfilled before Jesus comes back, we are probably now somewhere around here. Okay, and they're being fulfilled at an incredible rate now. So time is short, okay, to get yourself ready for Jesus. So, as I say, some people are saying, you know, the rapture may come. That's two scores of four, really. The rapture will be either before the tribulation or during the tribulation. But if it comes before the tribulation, there's absolutely no sign it's going to happen. It's just going to happen. And it's just going to be too late to do anything then. So, yeah, we really need to now. We know time is short. I don't need to tell you what's going on in the world. You only have to look around for yourself. So this is, 
you know, I know it's challenging stuff here, but at the end of the day, this is what the Bible says. This is what Jesus has already told us. He's foretold us these things. So we need to listen to them and act. Because it's easy to be complacent, isn't it? I mean, you look, this week, right, we've had um, record-breaking temperatures in Britain. You know, the 40 degrees barrier, even way above that now. Um, and for, world, for years, world governments have been complacent, okay? They've been told about global warming, and they've ignored the, um, the warnings, not taking it seriously. So, oh, we'll get around to it sort of thing. Ignored all the predictions, because a lot of the predictions that the experts, inverted commas, were saying, that 40 degrees will be here in 10 to 20 years' time. Because normally, when a temperature goes up, it's only by that 0.1 or 0.2 sort of thing, but it's shot up this time, as we know. The truth is, no one knows the timing. And this will be the same when Jesus arrives. It will happen when you least expect it, okay? So let's not be complacent. Let's uh, be yeah, prepared. That's the bottom line, really. So we're going to return to the story of Jacob now. And uh, we find him in a, a similar situation to the Israelites, really. He's now fleeing um, captivity because after he had to flee from his brother and, and his family, he um, went to go and stay with his uncle and uh, probably as a consequence of Jacob's, the way he gained things and his, his manipulation and dece- deception, his uncle did the same to him and tricked him. So when he thought he was going to marry um, Rachel, I think it was, um, he, he offered to stay there for seven years. It ended up like he had to stay there for 14 years I and mean, another six years. So he said 20 years working um, for his uncle, um, almost as, as free labor, basically. Um, then in the end, he had enough, and he took his family and his possessions, and he, he moved ahead of him. Um, and as he was going, he, he heard that his brother Esau was up ahead of him, you know, the one who threatened to kill him. So he sent his family and possessions ahead of him, and he's tried life in his own strength, and he's now exhausted, he's fearful, he's vulnerable, and he's powerless. So we'll just pick up the story in Genesis 32, verse 24... So Jacob is left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Um, this man is widely regarded to be an angel of God. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched, and he wrestled with the man. And the man said, let me go for his daybreak, because they've been wrestling all night. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And then he was blessed. So what we realize there is that Jacob had come to realize he could not go on without God. He needed God. When he was in that fight, he had a revelation of who God was. He knew he needed God's mercy and forgiveness. And what we can learn from this is Jacob persevered. He would not stop until he got his blessing, okay? He fought all night, and persistence overcomes resistance, okay? If you're at the moment in a battle for something, just keep persevering because persistence overcomes resistance, so anyway, Jacob basically repented, um, became a much more godly person, and that is why later on in the Bible, when God says, I love Jacob, that's what he's talking about. Is that Jacob. Obviously, he didn't love all the deception and all that. It's, it's a, the new Jacob. And Jacob, obviously, um, is one of the big names in the destiny of Israel's, uh, in Israel's future. So he went on, yeah, to fulfill his destiny, obviously. 
but he paid a cost for his perseverance because he had a damaged hip. And if we were determined to receive our blessing, then we may have to pay a cost as well, to give up some things or spend a lot more time pursuing God, you know, wrestling with him, not taking no for an answer. So, from those first few stories, we can learn God doesn't like it we, when we complain and sit on our hands, okay? Like Dan was saying the other week about uh, the parable of the talents. You know, we need to do things. God's given us stuff, and he doesn't like it when we don't do stuff with what he's given us, okay? And these stories are, are, are telling us that. But on the other hand, of course, we can be certain that he's given us all the tools and equipment to carry out his purpose for our life and walk in the power of his blessing for those things he wants us to do, okay? He wants to bless us. So Ephesians 1.3 says, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So you may be wondering, what is a spiritual blessing? Receiving God's divine favor upon you, his grace, his protection, his mercy, his peace, deliverance, compassion. It's God's just general pleasure in you. It's being favored by God. You're restored. You have financial abundance. You have every need. You have God's approval. You have blessing upon your family. People are favorably, favorably disposed towards you. You know, blessing is not something you can earn, it's a gift. But as children of God, this is what we receive when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. It's God's nature to bless us because He wants to bless um, other people through us. What we have to remember is in Philippians, it says, uh, this is 4 19, and my God will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. You know, God has got our backs, he's gone before us, he's made a way, but we just need to move and keep moving unless he asks us to wait. You know, we mustn't take for granted what God has made available to us, okay? Never be complacent about it, but we need to use it. And we need an obedience and perseverance set out on the path marked before us, using all our talents, our abilities, using the power of the word of the Bible, the authority God has given us, the power God has given us, spiritual giftings. They're all there for a reason. And we, we don't want to have a, like an empty parcel box there, not being used sort of thing. Thinking, you know, when we meet with Jesus, we've got an empty box there, or a box there full of stuff which we've never opened. You know, it says spiritual gifts. Most people don't know what their spiritual gifts are, but the reason God gives us spiritual gifts is so we can... Uh, give evidence of the, of the power of the kingdom of God. And it says, seek after them earnestly. Now Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, I have come that they may have life. Not they will have life, but they may have life. And we need to take hold of that, okay? It's there if we want it, but Jesus isn't going to force himself upon us, but he wants us to take it. You know, it's a tremendous responsibility being loved by Jesus. You can't just live an ordinary life. It makes you different. Your priorities have to change. You can't do what others do. You can't say what others say. 
you can't just drift into heaven. No one can do that. You have to make a conscious effort to change. You know, Pastor Paul said last week, people think Jesus is irrelevant to them. There's people out there in the world. And basically, it's because society now has lost its fear of God. You know, it's been a sort of a great, it says it in the Bible, actually, one of the things that are prophesied, there'll be um, a great turning away from God, and that's been happening all throughout my lifetime. That people are just turning further and further away from God. But people want evidence of God. That's what they want, you see. Well, where's the evidence of God? If we need him, where's the evidence? And Jesus, uh, Jesus had two parts of his ministry, the proclamation, telling people about the kingdom. And he didn't just end there. He said, he demonstrated it. And he said, the kingdom is upon us. And that's what he's calling us to do. That's why we've got these gifts and these responsibilities. Because in the Bible it says, you will go out and heal people. You will cast out demons. That's what Jesus did. That should be an everyday part of the Christian life. You know, we don't need to fear when people, someone says to us, can you pray for this thing? We don't want to immediately think, okay, right, I'll put it on the prayer chain. No, maybe God's saying, you aren't the answer to that prayer. I want you now to lay hands on that person. And in faith, you pray for them. Because the Bible says, they will be healed. It's only when we start stepping out in faith that those things can happen. Sometimes I think we want evidence of God ourselves, don't we? We rely too much on our own experience. And the trouble is, we haven't had much experience of those things, so therefore we don't do it. It's a self-perpetuating prophecy almost. But when we start stepping out and doing stuff in faith, God will meet us there because he, he, he rewards faith. And then obviously we build our faith on things like that. So Jesus is calling every one of us to be that evidence. Proclaim and demonstrate. In Acts um, 1, verse 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Now, the supernatural power that raised Jesus from the dead back to life of the Holy Spirit is, is within us, okay, to make us effective participants. God hasn't called us to be spectators, because we know he doesn't like that. He wants us to be participants, we are blessed to be a blessing. It's blessings cascade down from heaven through us to others so that God is glorified and the kingdom is proclaimed. So, I don't know if you know or not, but I'm a postman, okay? I thought it might be a round of applause or something, but... <laughs> Thank you. It's the only affirmation I've ever had as being a postman, so... <laughs> Usually dogs are biting me, that's what they think. But anyway, um, frequently you know, these days, you know, we deliver a lot of parcels, okay? And quite often, um, the occupants are out. Um, and the problem is uh, what to do with the item. Because I, I deliver to an area that's quite a long way from our office. And I know people don't particularly want to get in their car, spend 15, 20 minutes driving to the office, another 15, 20 minutes back sort of thing. So I always try, if I can, um, to leave it with a neighbour or leave it in an agreed safe place um, where they can pick it up later without having to make the journey in. And there's a particular house that I, I was delivering to the other week, and I hadn't been there for several weeks, actually. And um, as usual, they weren't here. I know they've been there because each day I put the mail in, I can see through their porch that the mail's been gone. So I know that they've been home. Um, so anyway, it must have been about four weeks since I'd last put a parcel on the back. And as I went around the back of their house in this little alcove they have, 
Um, I noticed there was a pile of parcels that had been there from the weeks before when I'd been delivering. They still hadn't picked them up. And I thought to myself, how badly do you actually want these parcels that you've ordered them and you didn't even know that they were there? Because I did put a note in, by the way. I didn't just sort of say, yeah, <laughs> see if you can find them. It's a great game. But that's the question I believe you know, God is asking me and you. How badly do you want it? You know, I go back to uh, 31 days of breakthrough. Are we like Jacob, prepared to persevere, you know, to keep on nagging God, refusing to accept defeat, refusing to take no for an answer? You know, God honors persistence, okay? I think so too often we just pray once and think, well, that's in your hands now, God. But God wants us to keep on knocking on that door, saying, no, I'm not accepting no. I'm not accepting I'm going to wait. I want it today. You know, there was a story of the lady um, talking about scraps, and Jesus, you know, and her persistence and keep asking was rewarded by Jesus. Uh, you may remember when Elijah um, was about to be taken up to heaven, and Elisha kept following him. And Elijah kept saying, "Wait here," as he went to the next town. And Elisha said, "No, I'm going to come with you." And eventually, just before he was taken up, Elijah says to him, "What is it I can do for you?" And Elisha, Elisha responds, "I want a double portion of your spirit." See, that's what we should be asking for. for you know, we don't even need a double portion. He's given us so much already. That's all we need. But what we ask for, if this means furthering the kingdom of God, God will give us. That's what it says in the Bible. Just ask and you will receive. I can remember when Dave Prince was battling, his, battling cancer. And the darkest hours, a group of his friends met every single night. And we were praying, we were pleading, we were... Well, it's an amazing time, really, but um, you know, saying a scripture, we're praising God for Dave's healing, thanking him. In faith, we absolutely believed that God was going to heal him. I was going to say, and there's the evidence there, but of course, typically, he's not here today. <laughs> but believe me, he is here. But it was a fantastic time because we really felt the presence of God in that. And it's a time, I've really learned a lot in that time, actually, that the more you seek after God, the more you persistently chase after him, the more you're going to see of God. I heard a quote the other day, was, desire is the test that fuels the quest, which I think is quite good, actually. Desire is the test that fuels the quest. So the uh, the blessing, even, Jacob received changed the future of Jewish history. With the blessings we have received, whose future destiny are you going to change? Are we going to change? I just want to leave you with this. Last couple of bits of scripture. This is Ephesians um, verse three, uh, sorry, three verses nineteen and twenty in, in the Amplified. And uh, you know, this is my favourite. So if you like to have a favourite scripture, um, this is my favourite scripture. And it's that you may really come to know practically through experience for yourselves the love of Christ, which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience, that you may be filled through all your being with all the fullness of God. That is, you may have the richest measure of the divine presence and become a body wholly filled and flooded with God himself. Now to him who by in consequence of the action of his power that is at work within us, is able to carry out his purpose and do superabundantly 
far over and above all that we dare ask or think, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, hopes or dreams. So that's what happens when we're filled with God, the richest measure of his divine presence. Can you imagine what it's like being wholly filled, filled and flooded with God? That's what Jesus was like. He was filled and flooded with God. And he did incredible things. And he says he will do greater things. But we're not really seeing it yet, are we? But we need to believe that we will do greater things when we become filled and flooded with the Spirit. Because then we will see superabundantly, far over and above, all that we dare ask or even believe to think. And it's beyond, really, our imagination, what that actually means. Because if you think, if you think of something, and, you th- and then God's just saying, no, hang on, that's, that's great, but I'm talking about something that's going to be this much better, or this much better. You know, we pray sometimes for like, people to come into church, the odd person out. But what if we prayed for um, a sort of uh, hundreds of people to come in here? Just imagine we all prayed, a whole church prayed that in one week. What difference it would make to this area sort of thing. So I believe that God's given us all these blessings and things. Um, and he's, he's going to make a move. So I think it's many people are sort of, sort of feeling this now in their spirit and stuff that God is going to make a move in the not-too-distant future. Um, and uh, he gave me a scripture in a dream. Um, I can't remember what it was, just over a year ago maybe, a bit more. Um, and that scripture is this. I'm going to leave you on this one. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. You know, we started off there with the miracle of the Red Sea, but I believe that we are going to see some incredible miracles in the not-too-distant future. And we're going to be part of that if we just cling on to our blessings and walk in them and don't just throw them away. Just, just use our birthright to further the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, thank you.